We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. It's Easter, so we're going to read the Easter story. There's kind of this joke now that this guy goes to church, and he goes up to the pastor on Easter, and he says, you always preach the same sermon, and the pastor says, you only come on Easter. Uh, So we're going to hear that story today, and that same sermon, really. Uh, Or in John chapter 20, it says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and he bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she bent bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, or my teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she said to them, that he had, he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. When I was a kid, it was a treat and reminder, not, I was an odd kid. It was a treat for me to run across the street and get to check the mail. So I'd like get home from school and be like, mom, can I check the mail, please? And I don't know why it was so fun for me. It was hardly ever for me. Highlights magazine from time to time. Uh, Maybe a letter from grandma with $20 in it or something. But it was almost always bills or something else or a magazine for my mom or some other sort of mail that I didn't understand. But I loved getting to run to the mailbox and check the mail. I hate it now. Uh, Don't love checking the mail. Still, for the most part, hardly ever for me. Uh, It's for previous occupants or for my wife or somebody else with a name similar to mine, but not quite. Uh, Or it's a credit card offer. How many trees have we killed with trash credit card offers? 
uh, and uh, maybe a rolled up ad for a grocery store down the street or uh, uh, you know, a warranty on a part for a car that I don't own uh, or some other sort of publication or a political flyer or somebody trying to give their lawn services. It's never good mail. And the worst ones, and I think you all agree, the worst ones are the convincing ones where it looks handwritten and it's like Reverend Colin Bagby. I'm like, that's me. I hope it's money, Grandma. You know, like open it up. She doesn't call me Reverend Colin Bagby. Uh, open it up, and it's just another ad for something, or something about my car, or another credit card offer. I hate those. Those are the worst. But from time to time, I mean, I still check the mail because I have to. I'm standing in front of the recycling bin, and I'm throwing things in there, and there's something important in there: a wedding invitation, uh, God forbid, a jury summons. Uh, a bill I haven't paid, maybe, or a bill from a place that I've told them every month ever since I've paid them that I want to go paperless, but they still send me a bill. <laughs> Something important, a letter from my grandma or a package from somebody else. And so I still check the mail, and I resist the deep temptation that I have every time to reach, not look, and just throw it all away. <laughs> and so when I go through the mail, and I look, and I just I have this thought, okay, if I throw this all away... I'm going to miss something. If I, if I don't look at every single one of these things, and, and maybe it's just going to be a total waste of time, if I do throw it away, there's going to be the off chance that I'm going to get in big trouble, or I'm going to miss an event, or I'm not going to see that cute Christmas card, or I'm, I'm going to throw away cash into the trash can. <laughs> and I don't want to miss something. I think the, the story of the resurrection, and then the story of the Christian church, and the story of people that have followed Jesus for 2,000 years is a story of people missing something. And I don't mean like you have this deep hole in your life, but that you're not noticing what's going on. You're, you're missing something. Even early critics of Christianity, they kind of raised this question like, we must be missing something. Because these people that follow this man who was crucified and, and was tortured and killed in this humiliating, cursed way, and they worship him as God, there's got to be something wrong with them. Like, we must be missing something. Like, I need to pay more attention because they're motivated to believe and do these salacious, strange things. Some of the early critics of Christianity, I'm going to read some of these to you. Uh, they, th their criticism was first, well, um, they're cannibals uh, because they go to this table and they eat some guy's body and blood. They're missing something. <laughs> Or, or, or they're like having inappropriate relationships with one another because they all call each other brother and sister. Weird. Or, or here's, um, this is uh, Celsus. He was an early critic of Christianity. He says, can you believe, this is paraphrasing, that they welcome and invite widows, orphans, slaves, and more dishonorable children. Celsus didn't like kids. <laughs> And he said, these people, they all gather together, and we must be missing something. Why would they debase themselves to gather with the lowest of the low in society? So more, more criticisms. Uh, uh, Pliny, another critic of the Christian faith in the beginning, uh, he, was, he was just scandalized by the fact that these people met in homes together. Like, why would you, why would you meet together in someone's house? Gross. And like we do it all the time now. It's, like, it's a common thing, but it was this like low class thing from his perspective. Not only that, but when they met together in, in, in homes, they, they mixed sexes. The, the men and women met together in the same place. Scandalous. Like all in big trouble right now. And then my favorite one, uh, not because I agree with it, but because it's so silly. I have, to, I have to preface that. Just to make it clear before I say this out loud. This isn't me. This is Celsus. It says this. They welcome in, quote, 
the dregs of the populace and credulous women. <laughs> those women will just believe anything. Gullible, hysterical. And they're the first ones that have shared this good news, this, this message that this guy was killed and then he rose from the dead. Silly. We can't believe it because the women are telling us this. It's silly. He's missing something. I mean, if Celsus were here, it's like they also preach and lead worship. He'd be even more scandalized. <laughs> they, they, they let in these people. What's their deal? What am, I, what am I missing? But it's not just the early critics of Christians. It's some of, the, some of the people that were closest to Jesus. And that's what we read in the story today. That early in the morning, after they'd watched this horrific thing happen, the person that they loved and cared for and followed so closely and listened to every, every day and their feet were washed by him and they shared meals with him and they heard these teachings from him, they were close to him. They went to honor him, Mary, first in the morning before it was even light outside to check on the tomb and the stone was rolled away and she looks in and it's empty and her first thought is they, whoever they are, they, they've taken him and I don't know where they've taken him. That's her response. And she, she goes to tell the rest of the disciples. So she, she goes to tell John and, and Simon Peter. And, and it doesn't say John in there, but it's a tip because there's these two men running. There's Simon Peter. And then, quote, the disciple that Jesus loved is the author of this writing. It was like kind of a humble brag. Like the one that Jesus' favorite, he was there too. <laughs> So they run, they have this foot race, and they look in, and John, he stoops low, and he looks in the tomb, and, and he sees that the, the grave clothes are there, and the head wrapping is there, and this weird thing happens, it says he believed, it doesn't say what he believed, he believed, yet he didn't understand the scriptures that this person had to rise from the dead. Again, as kind of self-serving, he's the author, he's like, I figured it out. <laughs> and then Simon Peter, this, this one that, that had denied Jesus, and, and had run away from Jesus, and in his fear and misunderstanding turned away from Jesus, he looks in, and then him and John's response is like, this is weird, let's go home. They don't know what to do. Do we, do we go to the wrong grave? Did something bad happen? Did someone steal him? Is Mary playing a trick on us? But Mary stays, and she's weeping. We know she was close to Jesus. She cared for Jesus, and she loved Jesus, and, and he meant everything to her. And she's weeping at the opening of the tomb, and she looks in, and there are these two heavenly divine beings sitting there. And then she turns around, and she sees what she thinks is the gardener. And we don't know why she thinks he's the gardener. And she looks, looks at him, and she says, have you taken him? Have you do, done something with him? Do you know where he is? And he asked this question, the same question he asked when he was arrested. Who are you looking for? And she says, Jesus of Nazareth, my Lord, my teacher, my rabbi. And he doesn't say, it's me. <laughs> Look, it's me. Don't you recognize me? The way he gets Mary to recognize him is he says her name. Mary. And in that instant, she recognizes, she says, my teacher, my rabbi. And he says, don't hold on to me. And not physically hold on, but what he was essentially saying is, from now on, nothing will be the same. And you have a job to do. You credulous, gullible woman. <laughs> Go tell the other disciples this thing that has happened. I'm not in there. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Something happened. And, and Simon Peter and John and, and, and then Mary Magdalene and then all the disciples as we keep reading in the New Testament and then Paul and every Christian through the centuries has had to confront this fact that these people went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. And we can wrestle with it a variety of different ways. Maybe they made up this story. 
and they died for it, but they made it up. Or they, they look in the tomb and maybe they just got the wrong tomb. I mean, these are like first century dumb people. Like they just went to the wrong tomb. Jesus wasn't there. Or maybe, maybe something deeper happened. Maybe it was like the spiritual resurrection or maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's something else. And, and those are all, I think, valid readings. People have come to that conclusion. But we all have to say, if we could start here, something happened. And it compelled these people then for centuries to do something about it. It changed what they thought. It changed their whole opinion. These, these first followers of Jesus were Jewish and they had an expectation that one day all people would be resurrected. But to have one in the middle of history, a poor itinerant rabbi who was the son of a carpenter and a teenage mother, he's gonna rise from the dead. It changed everything they thought and believed. It changed their head. It changed what they believed about who people are and what they're supposed to do. It changed their hearts too because it, because it cut to their hearts because it said, okay, this isn't just for Jesus' sake. J Jesus did this for the world. That, that Jesus rose from the dead and it's this, this universal invitation. That's why he tells her, then you go to the disciples and tell them this thing has happened. I've risen from the dead and it's an invitation to all people to experience this new life. Their heart changes. And then, and then their conduct, their hands change because then these same people, we just read Celsus was just disgusted by the fact that they cared for widows and orphans because of this thing that's happened. However you want to slice it, if it was a made up story or something else or Jesus actually did rise from the dead, it changed this community forever and here we are. And that same line of people that care for the poor and lift up the lowly and embrace people that society says are on the margins that we shouldn't care about. It changed how they live their lives. Something happened. And we can't miss it. We can't ignore it. We can't go past it or around it. Something happened and we have to deal with it. We have to reckon with it, whatever it is. And that's the invitation that we have on Resurrection Sunday. That's the same sermon every year is to, to look at, okay, the tomb is empty or at least the disciples said it was, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna think and believe? What's gonna change in our hearts? How are we gonna conduct ourselves? What are we gonna tell our city? What are we gonna do for one another? How are we gonna raise our families? How are we gonna care for our neighbors? How are we gonna be at work? What are we gonna be like in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives? Because this thing has happened. I'm reminded of Tim Keller, who's currently going through um, uh, cancer treatment, and he tells this, or doesn't tell this story, he's in this, this interview with this NYU professor, and they're kind of having a like Christian, non-Christian dialogue. And, and you know, Tim Keller is probably like one of the greatest living Christian thinkers right now. And then there's this NYU professor, a professor of religion and history in America. And he asked Tim Keller kind of near the end of this interview, he's like, Tim, you're a smart guy. Um, you've been reading this story for years and years and years. You've been confronted by it, you've studied it, you know the language, you've preached about it, you've written books about it, you've read books about it. You're smart though. As time has gone on, like, it's kind of waned, right? It's kind of faded away, like, you believe it less now than you did when you were like a young pastor, right? And Tim Keller says, I believe it now more than I ever have in my entire life. I wish I could say that. I, I wish I could be like Tim Keller and be like, okay, I believe with the disciples and I believe with the saints and I believe with the apostles and the Christians through the centuries that at every moment I affirm the resurrection and I'm like, yep, I know the explanation. I know it's real. I know it happened. Because sometimes really, honestly, my first step is just something happened. <laughs> something happened and I have to deal with it. Something happened and, and, and the life of Jesus is compelling to me and I feel that he's calling my name just like he called Mary's name. And I recognize him and I'm drawn into it 
and I'm moved by it. And, it. and it puts a question mark next to every idea or thought or belief I have, every political persuasion or ideology, everything I've ever done and everything I, I ever will do and the words that I say and the things that I do and the way I conduct myself and whatever else, it puts a question mark to it and I, I just have to deal with it. It's there, something happened and I can't miss it and I can't ignore it and I gotta do something about it. The invitation on, on, on Easter, the, the invitation for us and hearing the story afresh and anew is to say that the, the resurrection isn't a, a story and then there's a period at the end. Okay, we did it. We had our 40 days of practice. We made it to the end, period. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Let's do it all again. <laughs> but it's the beginning and it's an ellipsis that the, the, the resurrection, the story of Jesus, the something that happened that the disciples experience is the beginning of something new. It's the beginning of a new way of life. It's a beginning of a, a new way of treating one another. It's a beginning of a revolution. It's a beginning of a new community. It's a beginning of a new place. If it's a beginning of a new family, it's not an end. It's not a period. It's a beginning. And so it's as if we're standing at the mailbox, frustrated with this stack of stupid mail again. And over the past couple of days, it's like soggy. And so we're rifling through it and there's an ad and there's a credit card offer and you know, there's one that looked convincing but I know that it's not real and there's one that's not for me and then we see one and it has your name on it. It's an invitation for you, it's a call to you, it's an individual letter to you and it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus inviting you to say, this thing has happened, what are you gonna do about it? The temptation is to say, I want a Jesus that's going to fit into what I already think and believe and do. But this Jesus, this invitation, this call like Jesus gave to Mary on that resurrection morning is, are you going to take me as I am? Is your life going to change it because who I am and what I've done? Are you going to be confronted by it and let it shape you rather than say like, oh, I can explain my way out of this one? Something's happened. I want to invite you to reckon with it, to wrestle with it, to read about it, to explore it. But if anything, answer it, respond to it, do something about it, probe it, let it shape you, inform you. Jesus is calling and we're, we're peering in the tomb and the tomb is empty and maybe we're in the wrong spot, maybe someone else took him or maybe, just maybe, it happened. Amen. Let's pray.